Welcome to this week's edition of Debriefing the Law. I am Joel Oster. I am Chris Marone. And we have a lot to talk about this week. This is going to be one of those rare weeks where sports and law are one and the same with the Brian Flores v. NFL lawsuit. But first... We have to pay the bills. And so a couple of items right out of the gate. Uh, this is brought to you by Comedian of Law. Comedian of Law brings to lawyers CLEs, continuing legal education classes that educate and entertain. If you are a lawyer in need of CLE credits, check out the website, comedianoflaw.com. If you have some kind of conference and you need some a speaker there to liven up the event, give legal instruction, and also some comedic relief. Again, call Comedian of Law. Also, Chris, we need our listeners. Remember last week, we asked our listeners to leave five-star reviews. Remember that? I did. And guess what? Someone left a five-star review. I cannot believe we asked. I guess the Bible says you ask not, you have not. I'm actually not sure that's a biblical command. But nonetheless, someone (laughs) gave us a five-star review. Thank you so much. For those of the other ones, please consider doing that. If you do not like this podcast, just turn us off, I guess, and, and go listen to Ben Shapiro or or Skip and Shannon, no. some other podcast. But yeah. if you do like us, please give us a five-star review. Any thoughts on that, Chris? I, I am appreciative of all the people who've, who've given us support and love over the past years. We've kind of found our voice here in this podcast. I know that some of the early episodes were a little rough, but... We've definitely found a stride, and we're really appreciative to everyone out there that gives us a five-star review and everyone who sent us text and sent us love over the Internet. You know, it really makes this – this is fun for us. It's really fun for me, and it's really nice to see when my friends and family and random strangers tell me they listen to us on the Internet. It's really a cool feeling. So please – Give the five stars. Here's why it's important. When we try to grow the podcast, people say, do I want to listen to that? They actually look at the reviews. It, it, one of the ways they we try do. to grow this podcast is to us be interviewed by other podcasters so that way we can be exposed to their audience. Well, when that company or that podcast is looking to bring us on for interviews, they will look at our reviews. And if they don't see a lot of positive reviews, they will say, why bring this guy onto our podcast? No one cares what he has to say. And so those five-star reviews, very much help us uh, grow this podcast. All right, this week, Chris, a bombshell was delivered in the legal and the sports world. Brian Brian Flores v. the NFL. Now, this lawsuit was filed a a couple of days ago, and this was against the uh, Miami Dolphins, the New York Giants, and the NFL. And my first thought when I saw this lawsuit that was filed was, does Brian Flores not want to coach again in the NFL? He really, he is going to sue the NFL. Well, of course, then I actually yeah. read through the lawsuit. And we're going to unpack that lawsuit with all of its explosive allegations and the legal merits of this lawsuit. But first, let's unpack the actual facts undergirding this, this lawsuit. So, Chris, we yeah. have been we have been commenting on coaches throughout this year and the sports teams. We've been doing our picks. All year long, we have been saying, look, the Miami Dolphins, they're well coached. Brian Flores is a good right. coach. They started well, well coached. They started one and seven, had a rough stretch, but then they, they won, I believe, seven in a row, finished nine and eight, I believe. A tremendous rebound. He had two straight seasons of winning records there in Miami. We right. both said he's an incredible coach. And when he got yeah. fired, we Shocking. were floored, pun intended. Right. Well, this is his third season coaching the Dolphins. 
first season, the Dolphins were already a not-so-great team, so he inherited that. But he did not do what Urban Meyer did and ran him further into the ground. He did his good work. He did his due diligence. He pulled a solid quarterback draft pick. He worked on his team, and he's now had, of three seasons, he's had two back-to-back winning seasons, which isn't normal for the Dolphins. Let's be honest. They haven't exactly been you know, a, a Titan of a team in many, many, many years. So now, he was doing great work. You can I, see the upward climb. I was shocked when they fired him. I thought he, he the team rebounded nicely. I thought he had, had right. great success down there. You mentioned a quarterback. Now it was thought at the, when this decision was made that the, the quarterback might've been the reason he was terminated. Right. Here's why he didn't draft uh, uh Tua. Uh, and, and so right. uh, he was, wasn't the general manager. And they thought that Tua was going to be a great quarterback, but there's right. been some insinuation. His work ethic is not up to par to what Brian right. Flores wanted. And so there was some tension exactly. there as to whether or not he was the quarterback of the future. And maybe uh, Brian Flores wanted a different quarterback because he's such a good coach. He did not want a right. lackadaisical approach by the quarterback to ruin his, his, his team's successes. That was the fun. That was the rumor that was out there. And so maybe there was some disagreement between management and coach as to who should be the franchise quarterback. Well, and we need to, we need to, for, for those listeners at home that aren't into the, the nitty gritty of how the draft system works for the longest time before I, before I became of, of, you know, understanding it, I thought the head coach drafted players since that's the person who is going to work with them right. the most. No, in the NFL system, the general manager has the draft powers. So if Brian Flores and the general manager of the Dolphins, who names escapes me right now, if they're at odds, the general manager can draft whoever he wants, or at this point, he or she can draft whoever they want, and the head coach is stuck with it. So Brian Flores, I think you could, looking back now, looking back now that he's filed this lawsuit and you look more closely at the Dolphins organizations, Brian has been fighting with the the leadership since he got there three years ago. They have not had the, the best relationship there. And so maybe that, at least that was the rumor that played into why right. he was let go. I was shocked because I thought he was an amazing coach. I thought Miami right. was a well-coached team and they were on the rise. And, and usually when things are going in the right direction, you don't just upset the apple cart. You go with what is working. And I thought he was going to be an instant hire. I thought Jacksonville would be a great fit for oh, him. For sure. uh, they they could need that, that kind of steady hand. Uh, but as of the filing of the lawsuit, he did not land a, a head coaching position. Now, the one head Chuck coaching is. position he really wanted to land was with the New York Giants. And that's where things get interesting because he was super he was called for an interview up there in New York and the day before or two days before he was to go up there to interview for the head coaching job with the New York giants, Bill Belichick, who was his former boss because Bill Belichick uh, was the head coach there of new England. And he had hired um, uh, Brian Flores to be his assistant assistant or you know, one of his assistant coaches he right. sent him a string of text messages congratulating Brian Flores for getting the head coaching job. Unfortunately, the problem with that text was 
it was sent to the wrong Brian. See, Bill Belichick also had another assistant coach, another Brian, and that was Brian Dable. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Uh, he actually is the one who got the job. And so it was like, whoops, Belichick sent that text out congratulating him, and it was to the wrong Brian. What were your thoughts when you saw that the complaint opened up with that text message from Bill Belichick? Gosh, man, there was so like, I, I needed to scroll down a little bit to see the full conversation because, you know, as a lawyer, you take quotes that you feel bolster your case and they're the most inflammatory and you throw them on the front. But as we've learned, you got to read through it. You got to see what's going on. Is it taken out of context? Is it, you know, what, what's so inflammatory about it? And it only gets worse when you go down and actually read okay, so let's the stop text right. messages. Before you get there, let me read for you, the listeners, the very first line in this complaint. I'm telling you, this is there's a caption. And then right. the very first line, right underneath caption, this is what it says in quotes, in all bold center space. This is what it says. Right. Sorry, I effed this up. It actually had the entire word. So the third word here was a swear word. It says, sorry, I effed this up. I double-checked and misread the text. I think they're naming Brian Dayball. I'm sorry about that. B-B. In quote. So they started with a quote, a private text from Bill Belichick to Brian Floor. So that was the opening. But then you said you had to go down further in the complaint to get the context of that, that, that quote. Right. And so first off, I don't know who signs their text messages. This is just another thing that annoys me about Bill Belichick, right? I know who you are. I'm texting you. Joel, when I text you from my phone, I know that I'm texting Joel. I don't need to sign my text messages. Right. <laughs> first and foremost. Okay, Grandpa, next. But when you go down to about page seven in the complaint, it has the screenshots from the texts. And okay. God bless Apple and Android for creating a screenshot feature because the evidence that has come from these things has been amazing. And literally, the text message starts with Bill Belichick initiating the text message. Right. It's Bill, Bill Belichick initiating, saying, sounds like you've landed. Congrats. And then it's just this stream of Brian going, All right, I haven't heard anything. I don't interview for a couple days. What's going on? And then he goes, and then Brian Flores literally goes, are you talking about Brian Flores or Brian Dabal? And just making sure. And he's like, and then that's where, sorry, I effed this up. I double checked, blah, blah, blah. Bill Belichick single-handedly is trying to bring down the NFL. I am a full <laughs> believer in this. Deflate gate, like this sort of text messages. I bet you Bill Belichick leaked the, the John Gruden emails. I'm 100% on board with this idea that Bill Belichick is trying to, trying to dump the NFL. But now, I, I do want to make one comment. I want to make one comment on this because this text string. I think this text string is being misrepresented in the media, at least from my lawyer brain, okay. is being misrepresented. Okay. This, this yeah, text is being this. represented as saying the Giants already had made their decision and it was Brian DeBall, not Brian right. Flores. And so, therefore, the, the interview of Brian Flores was a sham. You don't get that from this text message. What you get is that Bill Belichick heard through Rumorville that the right. New York Giants thought they had found their guy. Chris, that has happened to right. me before. When I have interviewed potential yeah. employees, job applicants, the first person that came in, I thought, this is our guy. I like this person. Yes. We want to hire them. 
there were other candidates to come in, and I still interviewed the other candidates to see if they could unseat who I thought was going to get the position. Guess what? Those right. later candidates did not unseat that very first one. That very first person still got the job. Is right. that not? Is it not possible that's what's happening here? Bill Belichick heard that Brian Dayball, DeBall really impressed him. And he goes, yes, this is our guy. We still have other candidates to interview. We're going to see if one of the other right. candidates can unseat him, but we're pretty sure we got our guy. Chris, that's happened to me when I've interviewed people. I've had that same thought process. So I am not sure this text message is proof that the Giants conclusively decided, yes, um, Brian DeBall is our guy, and everything else here is just going to be a sham. I don't think that is a necessary outcome from this text message string. I think if you take the text messages alone, absolutely, this is circumstantial evidence, but we convict people on circumstantial evidence. That's how you build the story of what's going on. It's just one piece to the puzzle. But it's not even good circumstantial evidence. I mean, all it says is that Bill Belichick thought they had their guy. That doesn't mean the mind can't be changed with later candidates. That that is also true. But here's here. If I was Brian Flores' lawyer, right, and and. We should. I should preface this with this. If we're just looking at bad faith hiring practices, if we're looking at an employment law issue of bad faith hiring, not looking at this entire case of racism in the NFL and class action lawsuits, because I, I will, and we'll talk about this later, whether or not we think that there's a class action here or if there is a racist claim here or something to that effect. If I'm just from an employment law standpoint, right? If the, if the Giants are already telling people like outside the organization, Bill Belichick, um, last night on Sports Center, Boomer Esiason, they found a clip of Boomer Esiason saying the exact same thing. So if they're already telling people outside of the organization that that DeBall is their guy, then that could create an employment law issue of bad faith or unfair hiring practices. But in the scope of this situation with Bill Belichick, saying, hey, my bad, I heard the rumor mills, the rumor mills are bad, that's my fault. That in itself is not enough to, to meet any standard. Right, because um, here's the other thought. any standard of law. And we're, we're obviously going to un- unpack the legalities of this case, we're right. gonna, uh, claim by claim by claim, but at this juncture, you got to say, what is the purpose of even filing this lawsuit? Well, one, right. and I'm going to say probably the main purpose is to make a huge splash with the media. The merits of this case are not strong, and we're going to explain why in just a bit. So there is another purpose with filing this lawsuit, that is to make a splash and have the media run with these storylines. So these things that are put in this complaint, especially up front, were designed to really get people agitated and to get ESPN to run with this as their lead story for a couple of weeks. And so my thought is, what we just read there is not bad. I don't even think it's bad that they made a decision they want to hire Brian, Brian DeBall before they interviewed the other candidates. I think that is standard employment practice. Yes, that happens. The first one is, is extremely impressive, so everyone else now has to unseat this person. That That's not fraud. That's not a, um, a bad faith. That's standard course of action. It's being represented as if it is bad faith, and I just don't get that from that text message string. I, I do think that it might have been nice if Brian Flores had been the first person interviewed, possibly, uh, but that wasn't the case. But again, that's just my take on that initial but string. But I also think, I think that 
if you rest your case on a text message from Bill Belichick, you're right. You don't have a case. But everything's a building block, right? Everything has to build up to 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 create this picture of a case. So in itself, it, and, and I think this works for any case outside of like the murder weapon. But like individual pieces of evidence rarely conclude that they're guilty of something. It's when you take the conglomeration of all the evidence and put it together. Now, I'm not saying that this guy has a case because I, I clearly don't think he has a case. I And we'll discuss but I think these are the steps – like the lawyer who wrote this is painting a magnificent picture of how bad Brian got screwed. He is not or she is not painting a picture of actual malice or racism or anything to that effect that's kept him from getting a job. Great point because that is why you have a court of law. One lawyer right. presents the side for, for his client, and by the way – this all happened, I believe, on January 29th is when the decision was finally made. This lawsuit was filed just a few days later. Maybe there's right. a thought there that you should sleep on some of these things before you file this huge multi-paragraph lawsuit that might destroy right. your career. Maybe you should sleep on it for a few days. I'm not saying it was ill-advised. I'm just saying, wow, that was that was quick turnaround uh, from employment decision to lawsuit in, in federal court. All right. And Joel, you've done you've done these. You've created yes. these complaints. You filed them. They don't happen overnight. No. It takes all... days, if not weeks. So part of me thinks that he was ready to go with this lawsuit long before these text messages came in from Bill Belichick. Yes. Let's focus now on, on paragraph four of this complaint. And I, I caution this and uh because you and I are, are two white guys talking about this, but I, I, I just think that paragraph four, oh, I'm just wondering how this is going to be received by the public. Here's what paragraph four says. In certain <laughs> critical ways, the NFL is racially segregated and is managed much like a plantation. It goes through in paragraph four and compares the NFL to mm -hmm. slavery. I don't even know what to say about that. I, I just, here's my only thought. I would love to be an NFL player. I would give my left arm to be an NFL player. They make millions of dollars. They have generational wealth. They are esteemed and uh, praised by the entire globe. Is that really like slavery? Not in the slight. It's incendiary. The, the, whole, par the, the whole first page Right or not even the whole like the first twenty paragraphs is all about the is trying to be incendiary and trying to get this um, the idea of emotion tied into it. The the case has no merit. We we've just, the the case has no no merit in a court of law. But they're not litigating this in a court of law. They know that right. it has no merit. They want to litigate this in the media, and they want to litigate it on Facebook, and they want to litigate it on social media, or they want Fox News and CNN people to fight about it. That's what. That's the point of, in my opinion, that's the point of all of this. Because there's, just... there's, there's no way to fulfill, and we'll get to it whenever we get to it, but what he's asking for as relief can't even be fulfilled by the courts. My take so, on this particular position is going to be, if you want to be treated right. seriously and your perspective to be given the benefit of the doubt, is it really a good call for your lawyer to be comparing slavery to the NFL? Right. I'm just, I'm not sure that is a good strategic decision 
if you want your perspective to to carry the day. But nonetheless, that's what the lawyer put there in paragraph four. I think you could make that argument on most organizations, right? You can make that in in very, very critical ways. McDonald's is run much like a plantation, right? You have low paid, usually people of uh, Hispanic or black or um, minority classes tend to work more at McDonald's. Right now, to be so, clear, you're not comparing uh, working to McDonald's to a plantation. Right. You're just saying if they can make this argument they can here make it in for paragraph McDonald's. four, they can make that argument as well. It might even be more compelling if it were made from that position. Right. I, I would agree with that right. because McDonald's is pays below a living wage, and I think that right. corporations should pay people a living wage. It's their corporate ethic. I just probably lost all right. my conservative listeners there, but I do Whatever. believe that to be true. Right. That it, but the NFL pays their players More, millions of dollars. They, oh are, they are set for life. They can leave right. whenever they want and go live the rest of their life on a beach somewhere. Things that I'll never be able to do in my life. I would trade positions in a heartbeat I'm just wondering if that was a good uh, decision to put that paragraph in there that helps to highlight what is the end objective here. Is it to win in a court of law? I, I just think that that casts doubt on on the, the perspective here of the plaintiff in this case. All I right. would just like to point out that according to the NFL's own tax records, the minimum salary, depending on years of service, and is dedicated through the collective bargaining agreement, but if you kicked off your rookie season in 2021, if you were a rookie in 2021, your minimum salary is $660,000. Minimum. That means the guy minimum. that just is on the sidelines there, the, the worst person on your special team, he doesn't even get in unless it's a blowout. That guy's right. making six hundred grand for his efforts. I would take that job. Right. I, 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 hey, you know what, Chris? I would actually sit, go into a boxing ring and get pummeled by Floyd Mayweather for a million dollars. I would do that. Uh, it's just something right. I would. I'm probably right. stupid for wanting to do that. But nonetheless, let's keep on going and analyzing this complaint because the next thought, I'm going to just blow this thought up, I think. And I'm curious to see what your perspective is going to be. Right. But the essence of this complaint is that there is a disparity in in the in the hiring at certain positions within the NFL, we're talking the head coaching position. We're talking the offensive coordinator, the defensive right. coordinator, and then the general manager. I am going to cast doubt on on the whole basis of this argument because I am not okay. buying it in the slightest. Here's what I mean: in paragraph 110 of the complaint, it says, "In the 20 years since the Rooney Rule was passed." Only 15 head coaching positions have been filled by black candidates. During that time, there have been 129 head coaching vacancies. Thus, only 11% have been filled by black candidates in a league where 70% of players are black. Chris, that's a fallacy right there. They are setting up a false comparator. Here's my, oh, yeah. here's my suggestion. False equivalent. Why does playing in the NFL equate to being a successful head coach. Right. They are making that assumption and the media has right. run with it. I just watched Skip and Shannon. I watched uh, ESPN's a morning show and they keep saying, oh yeah, look, this is crazy. 70% of the players are African-American, but yet only 11% are, are have been uh, hired as head coaches. Chris, that's a different skill set. Why are they saying that NFL players make the best head coaches? So I did some research. 
They don't. Who do you think is the best head coach right now? Give me a name. I, wow. Uh, in the, currently in the league? Just currently in the league. Just throw out a name. I, Andy Reid. Andy Reid. Do you think he played in the NFL? No. Nope, he didn't. Give me another name. Sean McVay. Sean McVay. Do you think he played in the NFL? No. Nope, Bill Belichick. Bill Mike Belichick. Tomlin. Nope. Mike Tomlin, no, did not play. I did not check out Tony Dungy. I think he did play, but he's not a current NFL coach. So here's my list. I just did a Google search. Andy Reid, Bill Belichick, Mike Tomlin, John Harbaugh, Sean Payton, Sean McVay, Zach Taylor. I even threw in Nick Saban. People consider Nick Saban the greatest coach of all time. No, did not play. Pete Carroll, Bill Walsh, Joe Gibbs, Bruce Arians, Kyle Shanahan, Sean McDermott, Matt LaFleur, Brian Brian Flores. Do I need to continue? Those are considered the best coaches, zero uh, playing days in the NFL. I I stand corrected. Sean Payton signed for the Kansas City Chiefs for one day, did not play. One day, did not play. So why is it they're saying, look, because we have – a 70% of our players are African-American, right. therefore 70% of our head coaches. I Those are different skill sets. So playing and in the NFL does not necessarily mean you are going to be a good head coach. The, there's, the problem is, and in my head, and, and the way that Chris Marone's thought process works, which may not be how everybody does, so I apologize for this, the, the, the paragraph is idiotic. One, we should explain what the Rooney rule is at some point, but 11 representation in the workforce matters. I work for a law school. We have a lot of diversity initiatives because the law is not very diverse when it comes to levels of managing partners and senior partners and stuff like that. So I see a lot of diversity programs. What is your, what is your effort? um, You brought up a good point that you are involved with that. What is your desire? Is your desire to bring the, the, the diversity uh, representation what is your end goal to have it reflect the general population or something else? Not to reflect the general population. The end goal is to have a diverse coalition of thought and experiences that can best um, bring out the best and brightest of the law. The okay. idea is that all of our different experiences and all of our different takes, you being conservative, me being liberal, us being in two different parts of the country, like our different experiences, my experience with football, your experience with football or sports in general, brings a great discussion point together to where we can we can ferret out the best ideas. Even at the Supreme Court level, when Scalia and Ginsburg would go at it, right, you, they were diametrically opposed you know, ideologically, but some of the greatest ferreting out of laws and how we should run this country comes from when you have this type of debate. Now, I'm talking about things that matter. This is football. Right. Like right. on the grand scheme of things, hold on a great, second there. It's, it's I don't like what you just said. Right. I, things see, that matter. Goes, goes football does not matter. It doesn't. And if, if football went away today, we would all be sad, but society would still run. <laughs> I guess. All right. All right. Move on. I'm sorry for interrupting you. You just threw me a loop there. Right. I know. But I think the idea of having representation in the head coach position is important for for people of um, disproportionately disproportionate classes. There's no argument to be made that somehow there should be a correlation between all players or 70 percent of players being black. So therefore, 70 percent of coaches should be black. It doesn't. It, that that's a false equivalence, right? That's the argument that we're bringing up here. I think there can be a discussion of 
creating more programs that allow for for people who are minorities, BIPOC people, to have access to the same type of tools that can help develop their coaching skills rather than focusing on just developing BIPOC people into sports players. Right. I like your idea of diversity. So my thought is, is that um, the skill set for being a good coach is not the same skill set right. for being a good player. And sometimes you want diversity. In fact, that's why now there's actually a movement in front to get women coaches in the NFL. In fact, there are now some women coaches in the NFL. I am pretty sure that those women have 0% of the players are female. I am pretty sure I have not Googled that, but I'm pretty safe in saying that 0% of the NFL players are actually women, but yet there are women coaches. So there is this idea that to be a good head coach, that is a different skill set. Uh, that so it's just not a a one to one com, uh, comparator with who actually are play are, are players. That being said, I did a Google search, and the percentage of African Americans in our population is about twelve percent. So how is that not roughly equivalent to eleven percent of the head coaching positions being African American? Is that not based upon those numbers? Is is it not an assumption that? Okay, well then that there is there really discrimination going on there when you have eleven percent and they make up twelve percent of the, the general population? I also think that's a I think that's a false equivalence as well, because again, it takes up a special kind of person and ability to get to a head. This is a very specialized um situation. The being representative of percentage of the population also creates a pigeonhole of saying that we can only have 12% because that's who they represent. So we should have a majority of white head coaches because the majority of the population is white. I, it's not reflective. It, we should be reflective of trying to find situations, in my opinion, and trying to find situations to develop those who are not receiving the ability to be developed, right? If we know that, um, that there's an aptitude for coaching, we should figure out pipeline programs to fill those coaching positions so everyone has the opportunity to have access to develop their talents. Okay. When we, I think when we start looking at like, oh, you know, black people are 12% of the population, so having 11% head coaches is perfectly fine because that's representative of the population. That's, I mean, numbers are cold and harsh. If, you know, if, if we have the ability, which we do in this society, to be able to help people achieve their goals, that should be the end goal. How can we develop a pool of people, a pipeline of people that have been underrepresented in the industry and, and be able to make sure that everyone has equity? They have equal access to opportunities, not just saying, look, there's 12%, 11%, we're good to go. Right. I, I want, and I think this this lawsuit does a piss poor job of ferreting out the fact that we need to understand implicit bias and status quo bias and unconscious bias in dealing with head coaching positions. Right, there are serious and, issues out there to be right. sure. I'm just wondering if this complaint is not. No, this complaint isn't it. This isn't the golden ticket to to fixing all the problems of unconscious bias in the NFL, right. and it and it's not going to get there. 
So to finish up my analysis, uh, African-Americans make up 12% of the population. If you're going right. to look at the head coaching position or the coaching positions here, uh, we, are, we already talked about the head coaching positions. Uh, when you're looking at the offensive coordinators, 12.5% are African-American. When you look at defensive coordinators, 34% are African-American. When you look at um, uh, quarterbacks coach, approximately 10% are African-American. And when you look at uh, general managers, uh, 18.5% are African-American. So if we're going to analyze the legal claims here, what are you using as a comparator? One side is going to look at the 70% number. Look, 70% of the right. players are African-American. The other side might come up with the argument of saying, well, no, look, you got to compare it to the general population because it's a different right. skill set. And so when you look at the general population, 12% is close. It's consistent with these other numbers, if not a little bit right. below those, those numbers. Uh, they're, they're more represented as, than what you would think under, if you compare it to the general population. What is the right answer? As you mentioned, maybe somewhere in between, but also here's going to be our takeaway from all this. What can we learn now that these issues are brought to the forefront? Yes, this might be a bad complaint with no legal merit to it, but did he bring up some good ideas that we should nonetheless discuss? Well, before we get there, let's actually analyze the legal merits of this claim. Uh, and so we've already talked about the incendiary language that's in it. Maybe there's another purpose behind other than the legal merits, but let's review the legal merits. First of all, uh, this is a claim brought under uh, section 1981. This was right. not a Title VII claim, which I thought was interesting. So there's two different ways that a, a someone in an employment context can bring up a racial discrimination claim. One would be disparate treatment, another one would be disparate impact. So how, how are right. they different? A disparate treatment claim is saying, look, you treated me differently because of my race. It is intentional. You said, look, because you have this certain race, we are going to treat you differently in this employment right. context. That's disparate treatment. It requires intent. The other way to go about doing it is disparate impact. In other words, you might not intended to discriminate, or at least the policy on its face is neutral and non-discriminatory, but it has a discriminatory impact. Chris, let me give you a really easy example on how our listeners can see the difference there. Let's say we had a requirement that to have this job, you have to be able to lift 200 pounds and carry it to 200 feet. Okay, that, that's a requirement yeah. for this job. Okay, that that is neutral on its face. That does not discriminate between right. men and women. Okay, but you can see how maybe in impact fewer women would qualify for that job than right. men would. So that has a disparate impact in the hiring practice of men versus women. Now you might say, well, Joel, what if that actually was a requirement for that job, like a firefighter? Okay, I get that. But what if you had that requirement for an accountant's office? What, what is the relationship between that rule and that employment uh, and, and that uh, the disparate uh, or that requirement. So that's the right. analysis that we go through. And so here, Chris, you read the complaint. I read through the complaint in its entirety. I did not see any allegations of intentional discrimination. Did I miss it or did you see it? No, I didn't. I didn't see it either. I just okay. saw. I, I literally just saw a lot of implicit bias. That's all I. That's all I. And again, we're reading the most inflammatory side of this, right? We're reading Brian, Brian Flores' side of this. I would love to read the NFL side of it and see, because as we've known, 
you have one side of the argument, another side of the argument, and the truth usually lies somewhere in the middle. Right. And so I didn't see – he. I don't think he made the case for discrimination in intent or on its face no. at all. I never saw that. I saw examples of someone came to my interview drunk. Uh, someone came yeah, to the John interview and already had their decision made up. I did right. not see anything where it said, I don't like you because of your race, and therefore I made this decision. So, so right out of the gate, the Section 1981 claim is going to be dismissed. The other claims that are here are New Jersey and New York human rights laws. Now, I talked to a New York attorney yesterday. He told me that New York law, human rights law, very similar to Title VII in that you have to, uh, if you're going to allege disparate impact, you it's a different analysis uh, than um, intentional discrimination, but you have to go down that route of saying, okay, if we are going right, to right. deal with disparate impact here, we need to have comparators. What is your sample size? What is your evidence that here is a policy that has a disparate impact? Show us these statistics. And I don't think you see statistics in this case that, that support that. Now, let's go over some of those. What they, what they alleged here was, and they also tried to allege a class action lawsuit. So th this is a very similar analysis. In order to get a class action lawsuit, in order to get a class certified, you have to have commonality. So these issues are common. Chris, I'm going to suggest there's no way this is going to get class outside of the Rooney rule, which we can set aside. There is no commonality here. Uh, the, the hiring decisions that were made by the New York giants would be different than the hiring decisions made by the Miami dolphins. Those aren't the same people, the same reasons, different candidates. These require individual inquiry. I don't think you're going to have class action. And because of that, I don't think you're going to get a, a, a requisite study to show disparate impact. A, any thoughts on that? Well, yeah, the, I, I I flash back because and he does bring it up. I flash back to Colin Kaepernick, right? Kaepernick did his protest and then he sued the league for all of the owners getting together saying they won't hire him. And I and if I remember correctly, early on he wanted to do a class action about black players in general that that spoke out against what he felt was injustice. And you couldn't get there. There's no commonality there. There's no commonality to say that Brian Flores' experience with a drunk um, GM from the Denver Broncos, John Elway, and a already picked up seat at the Giants for Brian Double. Like, you're not going to go to every you know person of color because it can't even even in commonality, it can't be just limited to just black coaches. It has to be limited to every person that has been discriminated upon based on race. So you'd have to go back and find all of the interviews for all of the teams since the Rooney rule was instated in the eighties. So you're looking through 40 years right. of, of interviews and who keeps that? Like I know in hiring for the law school, um, we keep you on file for a year and then we destroy your file. So how are you going to find commonality in such a one? It's a small group, right? How many NFL teams are there? 34. Like 30, 32, 32, there's 32 NFL teams. How are you going to go through and create a class out of every, you would have to find every person of color that has been interviewed since the Rooney rule was instated. Yeah. And they're going to be different reasons, different people, right. different decision makers. Yeah. Let me Lack give you of experience, right? Like new GMs, old GMs, like let's do this. Let me give you one example that I know uh, pretty well involving Eric Bieniemy. Eric Bieniemy is the offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs. 
The yes. public's, the ESPN, the, the, the national storyline is, why can't Eric Bieniemy get a job? He He's clearly the best candidate out there. Look at how great the Kansas City Chiefs offense is. He can't right. get a job. This must be discrimination. Well, hold on. If you're from Kansas City, you might have a different take. In other words, we are saying someone give him a job. We don't want him to be our offensive coordinator anymore. Right. He was given the keys to a Ferrari and turned it into a Chevrolet. And so we <laughs> we had Patrick Mahomes. We had mostly high uh, pollutant offense. And then it's kind of been running to the ground over the last of several right. years. Now, I like Eric Bieniemy. I do. I hope he gets a good head coaching job. But the reality is, in Kansas City, the offensive genius is with Andy Reid. Everyone knows that. When you have yeah. Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, there's a reason why head coaches or, or other NFL owners might not hire Eric Bieniemy. There's some reasons behind that. It's just not, you just can't say it's because of race. Case closed. Look, he's the offensive coordinator for the Chiefs. He should get hired. No, the, the Chiefs offense has regressed under his leadership. Now, it might have been, it might have regressed for different reasons. I mean, I think he is a great um, person. I think he's a great, great motivator. Is he the offensive guru behind Kansas City's uh, potent offense? No, that would be Andy Reid. Uh, and so uh, when Andy Reid turned over the play calling responsibilities to Eric Bieniemy, that's when you saw our offense starting to turn into a Chevrolet. Part, so yeah. there might be other reasons, and that just all plays into there's no commonality here. There's very there's different reasons for these employment decisions, and that's why I don't think the court is going to. Uh, well, actually, what will the court do with this, this case? Do you th what are the options Ooh. here for the court? Uh, you can remand, you can dismiss, or you can set for trial. All right, so let's look Move at remand. Forward. So what would be remand is this. Remand is saying, look, you filed this in federal court. This should have been filed in state court. State now, court. Now, yeah. how could that happen? Well, the Section 1981 claim is is baseless. It'll be it'll be dismissed right out of the gate. Right. Uh, because there was no intentional discrimination. Might there be a Title VII claim? No, Maybe. you cannot. You can't have a Title VII claim because a prerequisite to filing a Title VII claim is you have to file a complaint with your local EEOC office within so many right. days. That has not happened yet. In fact, in the complaint, it said we intend to file that complaint and we will amend it down the road. Okay, that's a future thing. So if they do amend it down the road, that brings the federal claim back into it. That has not happened right. yet. So they could remand it now back to state court. Well, hold on. You have New Jersey claims and you have New York claims. Those are different states. And so if you have different states, and then you have different state uh, people from different states are suing for an amount greater than $50,000. That is called diversity of citizenship. And then that could stay into federal court. But still, remand is a possibility to get this into state court. I don't know if that's what the NFL wants. The NFL might want this to stay in federal court. So they might not do that. All right. right. Motion to go on. Thank you, Joel, for summing up an entire semester of Civ Pro <laughs> in right. roughly two and a half minutes. Hey, we are quick. We are efficient. That's how we do. That's right. So then the, the next thought then would be when it comes to a motion to dismiss. So you can, in, in law, in, in a lawsuit, you can yeah. say, look, we're we, we're not going to even go through discovery. So yes, I know you want to get at the emails. You want to get the correspondence. No, we're not even going to get to discovery because on the face of the complaint, you we're going to assume everything is true. You still have not alleged a cause of action. Right. I think that's what we have here. I think that the court can assume everything that is said is true and it still does not amount to a disparate impact. They have not 
shown a class. They have not alleged a, a, a comparator that's, that's I think, going to be sufficient to show disparate treatment. There was no allegation of, of intentional discrimination. I think this case is ripe for to being dismissed right out of the, on a motion to dismiss. Any thoughts on that? I think that's exactly what's going to happen. It's going to be dismissed, and then they're going to, then it's going to be the media's turn to pick it up and one side is going to say that this is a triumph of the legal system and that we shouldn't bring frivolous lawsuits. And the other side is going to say, see, this is the racism that we have in the system. They're not even allowing us our day in court. All right. So let's now focus on what you just brought up and you've been alluding to it along the way. And that is this, if this lawsuit has little to no merit in the court of law, why was it filed? Well, here's why it was filed. They don't care about the court of law. They care about the court of public opinion. And guess what the NFL cares about greatly? Ratings and the court of public opinion. If it is perceived that there is racism going on, I already laid out a case that the NFL can make that there was no actual racism going on. But if it is perceived that racism is going on, that's just as bad. That's going to cause the viewership. It's going to tank the ratings. And in any event, why not take now as an opportunity to improve our practices to allow for a more diverse workplace. If we can achieve a positive end, why not do that? So let's take a look at the other allegations that were mentioned in this case, because I'm telling you, these were bombshells. The most important, or not, I won't say the most important, that's probably a bad thing to say, because I don't know what is more important (laughs) than the next, but I'll I'll say the most explosive allegation here is tanking. Now, that's the big one, yeah. I am going to suggest that the tanking argument has almost no merit whatsoever to this uh, this lawsuit. It, it did not need to be mentioned. Now, you could say, well, no, that does impact his ability. He has an employment discrimination claim against the Miami Dolphins. If the Miami Dolphins wanted right. him to tank, there might be some employment discrimination issue there. I don't know how that's related to race, but nonetheless, that could be relevant. But I'm going to suggest that tanking was thrown in there just to grab the NFL's attention. That oh, is serious. Because I don't, because I don't think for a second that it, he was asked to tank the games because he was a black coach. Right. He no. was asked to tank the games because Miami wanted a higher draft pick. Right. Right. It, 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 it didn't matter if he was black, white, BIPOC, or gay, straight, male, female. Miami wanted a better draft pick, so they were going to pay the coach to tank the games. Which, by the way, should be its own like. I think this case has brought like six or seven causes of action that are not interrelated and tried to make them interrelated. But there's a cause of action against Miami, both at the NFL level for sanctions and for Brian to give a employment law case because of the tanking issue by itself. But does it play into the racism issue of the NFL? Not even in the slightest. I don't see the connection at all. I think this is a time-honored tradition with sports owners that they want to tank so they can get that franchise quarterback and, and right. better draft picks so they can win down the rope. Because uh, hope, that can sell to a fan base. Hey, look, I know we're not yes. good now, but look who we have coming up. So there's hope Looking there. Looking at you, that Cincinnati. Does, exactly. That does sell tickets. So, yeah, let's lose now because we can get that great draft pick. This season is lost. Here's a, so tanking is a time honored tradition, but apparently mm-hmm. there are proper ways to tank and improper ways. Let's talk about that. The proper way to tank. Now I'm saying that's my own word. The NFL would never say that, right. but my own words, the proper way to tank is 
to gut your lineup, to put people on right. IR, to, to get rid of your free agents, to decimate your team's talent level. That way, when they go out and play on a Sunday, they're probably going to lose. That's right. the right way to tank. The wrong way to tank is to take your players and your coaches and go out on the field and lay an egg intentionally just to lose the game. That's throwing right. a game. That you right. cannot do. That's going to get your sports betting public all up in arms. That's going to drive away sales. Because we expect the players on Sunday actually want to win the game. And if they don't, that's a problem. Indeed. Indeed. And, you, I mean, that, that goes against every fiber of football. To pay someone to throw a game that goes that's against everything that makes sports great. We don't do that. Yeah. Harken back to the world series of white Sox, right? Right. Eight men out. Like you, you don't do that. That's why Pete Rose is still not in the hall of fame, not because he threw games, but that he bet on himself. And yes. there was the possibility that he could throw a game because of his betting. This is, that is against everything that is American sports period. Now, I think this is so serious. This could cost Miami ownership their team. Now, right. it, it's that serious. If, if he actually said, look, I, I'll pay you $100,000 to lose this game. And for every game you lose, I'll pay you $100,000. That is such a serious allegation. I think the right. NFL could take either ownership away from him or uh, strip him of any kind of involvement with the team. The NFL does have that ability right. to do that. If you want an analogous situation, remember the Los Angeles Clippers, their owner had a race-based email or conversation that came right. out. And so the NBA said, we are going to force you to sell your team and ban you from having any interaction with your team. So that is a possibility. There is some precedent for that. I could see that happening here if that comes to light. Now, what evidence do exists that this arrangement was made? Well, at one level, you could say this is going to be a he said, she said battle. I mean, this is some kind of private conversation between the owner and Brian Flores. Was anyone else in the room where it happened? Was there right. an email exchange? I would highly doubt there would be an email exchange with something that incendiary. Um, but what is the proof? Now, to the what Brian Flores' attorney said was, we have um, supporting evidence for the corroborating evidence uh, for this allegation. They would not say what it was, but they did say they, they will be uh, uh, proven. What, what are your thoughts on that? So, yeah. So my, my thoughts are um, if it's the same evidence that he is putting forward in his race discrimination case, there's going to be some issues, right? But if he has direct linking ties of, Hey, if you drop this game or even insinuating like it's in your best interest to take this game, 100K, right? If there's some sort of way to make it easily understood that the arrangement was 100, because alleging 100K per game is pretty exacting numbers, right? Like it's not like it's a, it's a nice round number. It's not a number that would be assumed. If he's pulling it out of thin air, like that's going to be a whole problem in itself because – you're coming out with a number. And so you have to be able to back that up with evidence. And I don't, if he had the evidence, you'd have put it out by now. I do think if he had the evidence, it would have been in the complaint, just like the text message string was put in the complaint right. from Bill Belichick. And so I, I, I doubt right. he has cooperating evidence, but if he did, it's going to be a huge deal. If he doesn't have it, 
is probably going to get just ignored because I'm not sure the NFL can do anything about it. It is interesting that Brian Flores then went on national TV this week after this lawsuit was filed, was asked to direct questions about it and said, yes, that is a quote. That that is what he said. $100,000 is what he told me he would pay me for every loss. What's gonna, what is going to be made of that? I mean, that actually, because um, here's my, if he, if there's no evidence of it, do you think Brian Flores can ever get another job in the NFL? That kind of allegation against your ownership alone right. might keep him from getting another job. But uh, let's hold off on that for just a bit here. The next thought that was huge from this uh, you know, allegation, another bombshell from this case, was a tampering charges. And so he said that the ownership yeah. invited him to his yacht. Also, somehow the yes. ownership arranged for Tom Brady, who was yep. still under contract with the New England Patriots, to also be on that yacht at the same time for an accidental per chance, meeting. you know, yeah. meeting. Well, that would have been tampering. That could have cost, uh, you know, Brian Flores' career. He would have been fine. It's a serious allegation. You can't engage in tampering with some other player who's under contract for another team. So here's what Brian Flores did. He just got up and left. But it's another. Right. In this particular situation, there might be some cooperating evidence. It would be Tom Brady. They might ask, Tom Brady, right. were you there? Were you called? What was right. the context? Because if he was called there, that's a serious allegation. Well, and, you know, yeah, I mean, all of these things. One, this could all fall into defamation territory, right? If if all these allegations prove to be false, which there's a very real opportunity that they're true, and there's a very real opportunity that they're false, um, Brian is digging a pretty deep hole here. And I find it hard that, you know, a lawyer of any caliber would take this case on knowing that it's all lies. Because now this lawyer is now filing false documents, and that's against our ethical code, right? It's against our ethical so, code. And then making public statements, as you said, that right. would be defamation. Because what you say in court is protected. You can't sue for defamation based upon that. But when you do right. press releases and you talk to the right. public, on, now you're in defamation territory. There. So I, it's, it's a hard, I would like to believe that Brian Flores is not an idiot. I, I'd like to think that he is smart enough to know that making these statements, like you make the complaint, all the race statements and all that stuff. Yeah. I see where you got your numbers. I see where your line of thoughts going. Do I think it's a legal cause of action? No, I don't. But that's, that's, I'm not the judge, right? I'm not the judge. I'm not the jury. I don't get to make that decision. But now you're in a very dangerous territory that if you can't back this up, not only is your career tanked already from this web from this lawsuit, but now we're getting into some really, really, really you know tall grass of legal issues that could do more than just screw your career. Yeah. So my my hope is that you know Tom Brady could collaborate, right? And if you know Tom Brady does or doesn't, that's there. But if he has good evidence, lean with it and run with it. But man, if he doesn't. It's whew, boy, howdy. Like this is whoever's talking to this kid or has gotten in Brian Flores' head and said he needs to do all this stuff. That person is just a piece of garbage. All right, Chris. So we like to make predictions in this, in this uh, podcast. We, we like to you know, make picks for the upcoming games and also like to make our picks on upcoming super, you know, Supreme court cases. I'm going to make my prediction in this matter. I am going to say 
when it when we're gonna say, do you think Brian Flores will work again in the NFL or not? My prediction is yes, he not. will get another job in the NFL, Ooh. and here is why. The NFL cares most, most. Most. about winning on Sundays. That is the most important thing. I know people throw racism out there. In today's day and age, I'm going to suggest that what drives the players, the general managers, the, the owners, more than anything else, they want to win on Sundays. And Brian Flores right. is a good coach. And I think right. that the ownership there in Miami did him wrong. I thought they did him wrong when they fired him. I thought that was fishy in and of itself. Why did they fire such a successful coach? Well, if it comes out and Tom Brady cooperates this idea that, yeah, I was invited to that, that per chance meeting on his yacht, that alone, that cooperation right there will substantiate the tanking allegations. Might not prove them. They're, they might not be able to do anything with them, but enough mud will be proven to be to exist on on with the Miami ownership that Tom, that Tom Flores will say yeah okay he had justification for lashing out that was a very difficult situation that he was in he was asked to tank at least I believe it I also mm -hmm. believe that uh, he, that that per chance tampering me meeting was set up uh, Tom Brady cooperated it and so you know what we want to win football games and so let's bring in Brian Flores. To our right. team, Houston Texans, we want to bring him here. We need to win this year, and so let's bring him in because he is that good of a coach. I think his greatness at coaching is going to land him another job. Of course, I also could be 100% wrong. I also think, and and this goes back to the, the mindset of identity players and all that stuff, you know, Brian Flores could be a great head coach and – he could recruit players that have the same feelings about the NFL that may be great players, right? right? If some players feel like their coach isn't advocating enough for them with the owners, they're not willing to take on the owners or they're not willing to take on the NFL system. They may not want to play for that coach, but now some of the players, which NFL is 70% black, they may want to play for Brian Flores, which may be a good recruiting tool in the long run. Well, we will be following this lawsuit throughout this podcast. Again, the lawsuit was just filed, and so uh, we'll be following it as events occur. All right. Right. Also in the news this last week, the Washington football team finally yeah. has a name. It will be called the Washington Commanders. Any thoughts on the name? I hate it. <laughs> you hate, why do you I hate it? Well, we were, we were talking about it earlier here in our office. It doesn't inspire like a football team should be like the pinnacle of whatever it is, right? The Titans, the Patriots, the 49ers, the Dallas Cowboys, Houston Texans, right? Like commander is like a mid-level rank in the military. Interesting. Like you're not, you're, you're not the, like the Washington admirals made sense or the Washington generals <laughs> or, or something to that effect. But like, Command, like, what do you? You're a commander is a mid-level ship officer for the Navy. There's no commanders in the Army or the like or the Marine Corps. Um, an Air Force commander is still a mid-level op. Like, it, it doesn't. You know, I, I think of it, and the first thing I think about is William Riker from Star Trek. I'm like, you are the Washington number twos. <laughs> That That's is, what you are. That is the hot take for the week. So you're thinking, okay, at least they rejected right. the Washington privates, but you know what? You right. should have shot a higher than commanders. What about the Washington Rambos? That would have been a little bit better. Uh, very. <laughs> that, that's the hot take for the week, but it is now the Washington 
Commanders, Commanders. Washington Commies for short. All right. Let's end here with a little bit of therapy. I I I, I hope that you came here to to console me. Uh, we're good friends, and you know I've been hurting this week. My Chiefs week. totally laid an egg last week. I have no idea what they did. I mean, I have never watched a game like what I just saw this last Sunday with the Kansas City Chiefs. I, I have no idea what happened. Here's what I saw happen. We were dominant. We were unstoppable. We were marching up and down that field, scoring at will. And then you had a complete boneheaded decision at the end of the first half. I do not understand what happened there. Our our thought process just went awry. We went askew. I don't know who called that play. Did did uh did uh what's that? did Eric Bieniemy call for that that slow play there on the outside where they threw the ball to Tyree Kill? It was a long developing play. We ran out of second. So listeners, if you don't remember what I'm talking about, the Chiefs had the ball at the one yard line with five seconds left. And so the thought is, do you just kick a field goal right now or or do you do some kind of quick play and try to get a touchdown? Because the problem is right. if you get tackled in the field of play, you, the clock runs out. You, you can't kick your field goal. If you do a long developing play, the clock's going to run out and you won't be able to get your field goal. So you, you can't do one play. It has to be snap the ball, throw right to someone in the end zone. And then you are done Call it. at this, yeah. at this moment in time, I believe we had a 21 to 10 mm-hmm. lead, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yep. We should have kicked the field goal. I, I don't know. So what happened was uh, they, they snapped the ball. Mahomes looked in the end zone. No one was open. He then looked to the left through to, to, um to Tyree kill. By that time, the clock had already went out. I mean, there was no way you're going to save this play and have another play. Tyreek Kill was totally covered over there. That decision to throw the ball meant we're not going to kick the field goal. Horrible, stupid, boneheaded decision. He should have just thrown the ball away and they kicked the field goal. I don't know who made that call. Was it Eric Bieniemy? Was it Andy Reid? We all know Andy Reid is horrible with clock management. Was it right. just Patrick Mahomes trying to make a play and not thinking it all the way through? I don't know what happened. Here's what I know. This is now the second year in a row during our last game, we made a complete boneheaded decision right before halftime. Last year during the Super Bowl, it was right before half. We were down about a score, a little bit more than that. Tom Brady had the ball, and Tom Brady decided, you know what we're going to do? The clock is is ticking. Um, uh, It's almost halftime. We're just going to run the clock out. I was watching that game, and I'm thinking, yes, good. Tom Brady is not going to try to score. We won't see any Tom Brady magic here. He's going to run the clock out. That's a great thing. Do you know what happened next? Uh-huh. Andy Reid yeah. called a timeout. And he said, you know what? We want to call timeout here so that way we can get the ball back. No, Andy, that's not what's going to happen. No. Tom Brady will now score on you, and that's what he did. After that timeout, they had a great play called. Boom, first down, next play, touchdown. The Chiefs never were in the game after that. So for the second year in a row, a boneheaded decision right before halftime seemed to deflate the entire team. I don't know what happened. These are the numbers, though. Before halftime, during the first half, Mahomes had a 98 QBR. That's amazing. Okay. That, is, that is like on fire good. That is mm-hmm. best quarterback of all time good. Second half, he had a QBR of one. That is oh, wow. fire him, kick him out of the league. How do you go and flip a script that quickly? We went touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. 
boneheaded play, three and out, three and out, three and out, interception, whatever. We, we, we never survived. We never came back during that game. That one play was the turning point. I don't get it, but nonetheless, I need some counseling. Do you have any words for me on how I can get out of this funk? Any given Sunday, man. Any given Sunday, things can change. Mahomes can do some things. You know, we're I have personally underestimated Joe Burrow in Cincinnati since day one. Um, so I take part of the blame for that one. But it's any given Sunday. I look back at that. I look at, like, you know, how the Chiefs lost. And in all intents and purposes, they were a seven-point favor. Yes. 7.5-point favor to win. And it's just one of those things where they gave the game away. And I I will say this, and I know this is hurtful, but I'm really excited that the Chiefs lost just so I don't have to hear about Brittany and Jackson Mahomes hey. on social media. Like, they <laughs> ruin a lot of things for the Chiefs. They really do. But, I mean, watching Apparently that game. so. Just, I don't see that, but I've oh heard that. Oh, my gosh. It wow. ruins so many things. So many, all the things they ruin. But wow. and, and that and that's a, that's beside the point, right? I think I think they just lost sight. They they lost sight. They were an arrowhead. It's Cincinnati, and that's the country, right? It's Cincinnati. What are they gonna do? They're the Bengals, right? They're not gonna do anything. So I think you know they got lazy in their mindset. They, they ran up. They ran up the clock. They ran up the score before the half. Joe Burrow is no Tom Brady, or so they thought. And then, and then they just got lackadaisical. I don't think Mahomes would make that mistake again. I, luckily, Mahomes has years and years and years in the league, and I'm really yes. looking forward to the the class of Mahomes and Josh Allen, and now Joe Burrow. Like I, I I'm gonna love watching the AFC for for years to come to see these Titans keep going back and forth. Yes. But I don't think Mahomes is good. He's he's still we keep we keep forgetting that Mahomes is like a three or four year quarterback. Right. Like he's not he's not Joe Montana. He's not Tom Brady. He's not. Um, Drew Brees or Panning or Peyton Manning yet. He has to learn these lessons. Um, Tom Brady was on Barbershop, which is a HBO Max uh, sports talk show. And he was talking about it. He's like, dude, my third year, I won a Super Bowl. And I'm like, is there really anything more to football? I'm kind of the best. And he goes, for 10 years, I didn't even make it to the Super Bowl because wow. of that mentality. And he's like, and then we started winning Super Bowls again. And I was humble. I knew about it. I knew what was going on and I wasn't in my headspace as I was after winning the Super Bowl in my third year. So I think you're going to see that with Mahomes is that he he's gotten successful and man is he good. Man is he good. But you're young. You got to get out of your own head on this one. That see those are good words as a words of hope and that it was yes it was an excruciating loss. We will right. learn from it. As long as he stays humble and we stay humble, right. I mean, Chiefs, you know, coaching staff and things like that, we can learn from this. And, uh, and uh, yeah, and, you know, I agree with you. I am, I am excited to see this young crop of right. quarterbacks, which Patrick Mahomes is part of the young group. He's on the older side of it, but still he's under, I think he's 26 years old. So he has an incredible right. future ahead of him. If he's right. kind of played for Tom Brady years, he has at least another 17 years in him. So right. yeah, this is going to be a great ride and watch out next right. year. We will be back. That being for said, sure. that's my own issues. You have other issues because your team was playing your team and uh, one of your teams had to lose. And so what are your thoughts here after last Sunday? Man, what a game, right? What a game on the Niners. What a game with the Rams. 
Um, I am a little salty because I did win the bet side. I won the money side, right. but I lost the like fan side of it. And that last play, there are plenty of pictures, and I'm looking at one right now on my computer, of Matthew Safford hadn't hiked the ball and the play clock was at zero. Right. But he still hiked the ball and he still got the playoff and he still beat the Niners. I'm a little salty on that one because it's clear that the play clock was at zero. And he still got to hike the ball. The he officials the almost were so reluctant to throw flags, they did not throw flags right. when they should have. And I get the idea right. you want the players to decide the game, but there are also but, some black and you know, there are some basic rules you, you gotta follow. And and, that and you would be play one the clock. Them. You play the clock. Yes. Everything about football is playing against the clock. You you know the clock is the common enemy, and you gotta watch it. So that made me a little salty, but also at the same time. I'm going to harken back to the same idea of Dak Prescott, right? At any time during the entire rest of the game, the Niners could have not made stupid mistakes. Yes, right. And they made them. And and that's what cost them. It should not have come down to the last final seconds. They should have been playing better the rest of the game. And Jimmy G, I have a lot of respect for him. He's going to go to a different team. He's no longer our quarterback. At least that's the the talk. But, you know, it, it was heartbreaking to watch the Niners lose. But at the same time, like, I had prepared myself because I bet on the Rams. Yes, you, you knew that was that was so, coming, and so you were prepared for it. It wasn't like the Chiefs right. were the overwhelming favorite and then lost. Right, it was a three. Yeah, it was a three point. It was a three point spread. Right, the Rams were favored by three point five, and they won by three. Right. So, well, let's uh, focus now. I mean, let, let's wait till next week to unpack the Super Bowl matchup because right. we got we got the down week this week, uh, and so let's just close up this podcast with, I guess, maybe wishing Tom Brady a happy retirement. I can tell you, I am him. very happy to see him riding off into the sunset. I do find it hilarious when the press leaks something like, "Oh, he's going to retire." Oh, I- you know, the press has their sources. But yet Tom Brady's like, no, that's my call to make. So I'm not going to right. validate it. But then, of course, he ends up retiring. So any any well wishes for Tom Brady? Look, he's he is one. He is arguably the greatest quarterback of my generation, of our generation, and I get that. And good for him for retiring. Again, I'm pissed off at the media with this idea of first to be first, not first right. to be right. The man has earned the right to retire on his own terms. He's earned that. Whether you like him or not, he has earned the right to to end his career the way he wanted. And for them to leak, quote-unquote, leak the retirement was absolute piss-poor journalism and makes me just angry about it. With that being said, ding-dong, the witch is dead. And (laughs) let's play football. Wow, you just did a 180 on me. It's like, yeah, poor Tom Brady, but you know what? Let's um, uh, ding-dong, the witch is dead. Hey. Great. It's your hot take number two for this week. Thank you for bringing yeah. it every single week. And that means that it's now right off into the sunset for this week. We got some work to do. And so, hey, let's, uh, I don't know what I'm going to do this Sunday. No football to watch. I don't count the Pro Bowl as actual football. So Ever. I don't know what I'm going Never. to be doing. Maybe I'll try to play some golf or do some work, Ooh. go to church. I don't know what I'm going to do. Obviously, I'll go to church this weekend, but I'm probably not going to play golf. All right. Have a great week. <laughs> and we'll talk to you next week. See you next week, Joel. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, 
please give us a five-star review. We need your love to help us continue highlighting the funnier side of the law. I want to give a special shout-out to our Vice President of Operations, Wendy Oster, without whom this entire operation would be a mess. Sean Wynn and 15.5 Features for making me sound way better than I actually do. Brooke Bolin for spreading the good word about us. And Ryan Kuhn and Paul Kuhn of Triplicity Marketing for our technical and computer support. Mm-hmm.